Star Tribune's Prep Sports Podcast is brought to you by Becker Furniture World, Franzen Bank and Trust, Menards, and Carrier. Hello again. I'm Jim Paulson at the Star Tribune. My colleague David Levake is virtually by my side. Um, and we're bringing you another episode, another chapter in our long-running series, Talking Preps. They we're talking some more preps today. We had uh, some football to wrap up. And uh, I think we've also got a story you wrote in uh, that appeared in Wednesday's paper about the high school league and their finances. Um, because we could get into that football argument a little bit, uh, uh, it could go a little bit long. Um, I know that uh, there's going to be some dispute on who should be number one. Let's, let's wrap up the uh, high school league story that you had written about and written in today's paper. Tell me exactly what that consisted of and what's changed from the last time we, uh, we discussed high school league finances. Well, this is uh, an issue that started, uh, it was exacerbated really by the coronavirus pandemic. The high school league is hurting financially and the, they started to take a look at, okay, well, we just went through a winter season where we didn't have the basket, at least not a full girls basketball tournament. And we didn't have any uh, boys basketball state tournament. Uh, and now we're in a situation where we're not budgeting to state tournaments for the 2020, 2021 school year. And that's 75% of their revenue. So that's got to come from somewhere. So they uh, sent a lofty bill to member schools back, uh, I think it was the Friday of Labor Day weekend, if, if memory serves. And there was uh, a great deal of pushback from a pocket of schools, primarily those that were are smaller in terms of their enrollment size and felt that the amount they were getting charged was, was quite disproportionate. And uh, there were, let's see, three conferences, a collection of Catholic schools, and then an entire region 4A that sent letters to the league that said, you know, you need to rework your numbers. This is not equitable. And so that, uh, that, that debate kind of lingered out there. And then the league uh, actually got the, the okay from the legislature for a one-time uh, transfer of uh, $500,000 from its uh, foundation and, and to, to be put toward uh, offsetting expenses due to COVID-19. And they took half of that money and gave those smaller schools uh, a break on their on their prices, and and schools uh, are are now paying thirteen percent less. Uh, schools from what they consider, well, I guess I got to back it up for just a second. The way that the high school determined all these fees was the classification system that we know, as far as you know, what teams go in what tournament. That same concept applied to which schools would be billed how much, and you had class four A, class three A. 2A, and then several iterations of 1A, depending on the exact amount of, of kids within the school. And the 2A and 1A schools were the ones that were saying, this isn't right. And so those, those schools all saw their fees adjusted, dropped by 13%. Uh, so for example, uh, one of the, I think it was the 2A, they were gonna have to pay $7,000 over the course of this school year. Now it's $6,044. Uh, but, your, but your largest schools by enrollment, your Wyzettas, Prior Lakes, and so on, they're still paying full freight. And uh, I wish I had that chart with me, but I believe it's somewhere around $11,000 this during the course of this school year. Um, so it's, it's been a, a, you know, like I said, a contentious issue, but I, I, it appears that we're nearing its conclusion. 
Although a lot of people aren't happy how they, you know, they got the break in cost, but they're not happy how they got there. They got this, this, you know, rather than reevaluating the numbers, having a different methodology, they just took this, this uh, fortunate money and, and then applied it. So there's still a little bit of lingering hard feelings, but that's, uh, I think we're still at the end of this, uh, this topic here, uh, as far as the fees go. Well, you know, let me see if I get this right. There's a couple of issues here, and this is just my opinion, but that I, that I see. Um, and one is that uh, you talked about the classification system, that it seemed that the high school league, at least from my point of view, was a little bit haphazard in how they went about making those classifications, divvying them up the way they do with uh, section alignments and section and classifications for competition. And to do that financially, you know, what the top 64 schools get pay this, the next 64 in enrollment pay that, which seemed to be kind of just careless in a way. I, I It seemed to me that you're talking about financial responsibility, uh, a little bit more thought should be put it into it and just dividing it up by the top 64 teams, which that just follows in line with how they do things in terms of you know, breaking down teams for competitive sections. Um, and so that was an issue. And the other was that they didn't seem, while the need for high school league services is great and they are very, uh, they've done a wonderful job of what they've tried, attempted to do in under hardship this fall with sports, um, they didn't seem very receptive to, to the way the schools were and they by just and and trying to alleviate potential costs by just blindly and and you know throwing out a bill and say here's what we want you to pay and expecting them to do that that there was a kind of a ham-handedness to how they did that is, is that fair to say that you know they could have handled it a little better in in both of those regards well two of the criticisms right along the lines of what you're saying one tell me more high school league about where you cut expenses because everybody's tightening their belts and the high school league did respond whether or not you thought it was enough, <clears throat> you know, that's up to personal discretion. But the second one was the manner in which they lowered the boom, the high school league. And by that, I mean, there was talk of, well, you know, schools are going to have to pay some more now. And, and schools were, you know, at least receptive to that concept. And then all of a sudden on a Friday afternoon, they get an email that says your fees are going to go up by about, in some cases, 300%. That's not a small ask. That's not no. an email on a Friday afternoon. That should not be the first that, that you get wind of just how severe the ask is going to be. And so anybody that had raised questions about communication, they have a very fair argument. Yeah, and, uh, and I, th I think that the high school league still, I don't think, understands that it wasn't questioning what the high school league was doing because it's definitely a service that's absolutely vital and, and necessary. Um, but it, I think it's it more just about how it was done and how it was handled. Um, and I think that's, did you get the impression that what the high school league did to alleviate some of these costs for smaller schools um, is satisfying? Or were there still some out there saying, well, you know, they could have done more or they should have done more? Well, like I said a minute ago, I, I think that the, the process was still not entirely satisfactory to these schools. Um, but I know producer Paul wants to jump in, so let's let's get to him. He's like the little kid holding his hand up in the front and the back of the class. Yeah, this is Paul Cloud of the high school sports editor. I just want to say, David, your explanation of kind of how the high school league finances kind of got to where they are is right on. Uh, you actually had written – uh, back in, well, before the pandemic, you were writing stories about how the high school league was even then uh, passing or uh, imposing some smaller fee increases uh, that affected membership in the league and activity fees and whatnot. 
that kind of signaled what you've been talking about, which is they've been trying to, you know, generate more funding from schools in part because, you know, at that time they were thinking the state tournaments can't kind of run things forever. Then along comes the pandemic and, you know, they, they ended up having to shrink their budget. You've written that they were a $9 million organization, you know, heading into the last school year. Now they're, they're a $5 million organization. So they're not, there's not nearly the, uh, the funding that's there. And interestingly, back when the high school league approved um, starting up the fall sports at that meeting in early August, the other thing they did then, and it didn't get much attention, but they said at that meeting, they approved basically, a, you know, the idea of having schools pay more to kind of help them through this situation. And it wasn't until a month later when you guys reported on those big, you know, like 300%, you know, increases that schools were going to see that the actual numbers came out. So I, I think to some degree they were trying to telegraph, hey, we want schools, we need schools to pick up more of the tab, but the size of the tab was certainly a big number when, when you guys reported it in September. Speaking of big numbers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did. No, I was, again, I'm, look, I'm looking to put a bow on this, so you want you continue? I was going to say, absolutely it was, but there's no doubt that the high school league um, wasn't overly sensitive to the, the schools and the needs of the schools in putting out what they were um, uh, hoping to get. I mean, I, I understand. We all know the high school needed money. That, Paul, that's, that's the point you're making, and they did have a significant uh, they did have a significant budget deficit that they had to make up. The qu question wasn't whether it was necessary. The question was how it was handled. Right. and how they really seemed kind of insensitive to where the schools were. And they did not basically make it known to the schools that there was going to be a budget increase of quite that significant amount. Because yeah, that amount of old schools earlier, prior to the, the COVID, the schools were anticipating it. I had talked to some schools and some athletic directors prior to the COVID pandemic and, the, and uh, when that became um, a big deal. And they knew it, and they weren't all—they weren't happy about that either. But they're all understood and see that they were willing to change their model of funding. So, uh, and schools anticipated a bit of a, a raise. The schools didn't anticipate nearly the significant amount, and the high school league did nothing to prepare them for that. Yeah, the one—the one thing in my story that that has caught a little bit of attention by some careful, more careful readers online. <clears throat> so, the high school league did uh, had to let go of three staff members and then they did not fill in behind a fourth uh after their retirement that still <clears throat> excuse me leaves them with 19 employees who represent 2.9 million dollars in salaries and benefits so that's about 150,000 per employee fellas we are in the wrong line of work yeah you know uh, and, and it's not easy to cut it's not easy to cut employees i mean the hardest thing you have to do is to tell someone you know, you have to go on a furlough, you know, be laid off from heaven forbid, you know, relieve you of your job. But I think a lot of people had to go through that same thing during the pandemic. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Um, and I think that, that people were wondering if the high school league ever really seriously considered that option. Moving us on to a football debate. Yes, let's do it, Dave. You and I, David, I'm sorry, David, I, uh, you and I wrote on Monday about Class 6A, who should be the mythical national champion. I mean, they haven't had... State champion. State champion, national champion, whatever. My world <laughs> is Minnesota. In the, in the pandemic, my world is the confines of my house, so things have shrunken up a lot. 
Um, but uh, I don't think it's been since at least 1971 and possibly much longer that we've had three teams in the largest class of state, uh, the, the biggest schools in the state undefeated. Uh, did they even have classifications back before the state tournament started in 1972? I'm not sure. The teams just play teams. Um, yeah, I don't recall. I'd have to look that up and I don't have a computer turned on at the moment. Sorry. Because they didn't have a state tournament before 1972. So would there have even That's been correct. in football? So would there have even been a need for, for uh, classifications back then? I'm not sure. But good point. Um, uh, three teams, largest uh, uh, classification of football, undefeated in one season. That would never happen. This year happened. So who's number one? Dave and I. David and I went out and we we analyzed it. We looked at it. Lakeville South, Eden Prairie, and Rosemount. David, I'll let you uh, make your case. Who did you choose for number one? I took Lakeville South. I, I, I actually, the way scheduling worked out this year with, with game coverage, I saw, I saw them three times, and their offense was always outstanding, and their defense got better and better as I watched them throughout the year. They, uh, they did everything you could ask to do. They overcame the loss of a key player in Riley Mallman. He missed at least three games, probably four. Um, they had a nip and tuck playoff battle with, with number four, St. Michael Albertville, and they came through, they found a way to get it done. Uh, I just, I just feel like they've, they've won, they did everything you'd want a team to do that came in number one. And they have, they had, there was no reason for them to lose that distinction. That's a good argument. I understand that. I, uh, I went a little different route last year. I didn't mention this. I, I looked at Rosemont, um, last year. Uh, with a lot of the same guys uh, back this year, they had beaten Lakeville South and Eden Prairie. And the, the players talked about that. Um, this year, they had all kinds of problems with their schedule due to COVID restrictions. They missed their first two games of the season. Um, when they finally got rescheduled, they had to play two games in four days, a Friday, Monday, a doubleheader, followed by a fr another Friday game, so it's three games in eight days. Their final regular season game um, was also canceled. And, but they got better and better and better. You talked about Lakeville North's uh, or Lakeville South's defense oh. being better in the season. Lakeville or Rosemont's defense was great all year long and was stealing by the end of the year. They didn't allow a point in any of their last three games. Um, they, they, and they had an offense that really came along. They got better as the season went along. And in their final game of the season against uh, a pretty good Eastridge team, um, without their starting running back, who was out with a concussion, they went out and uh, put 42 points on them and shut them out. Uh, I, my contention was that this was probably the best defensive team in the state. And you win with defense. And, you know, it's, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And I thought of all three teams that were undefeated, I thought Lakeville North, or I'm sorry, I keep saying that, Rosemount was by far the best team at the end of the season. So they got my number one. And, of course, we're missing completely Eden Prairie, who's great every year. Um, they, they did exactly what Eden Prairie was supposed to do. They won every game They won. They didn't have any really close games, but I didn't think Eden Prairie faced a whole lot of adversity this year that other teams didn't face as well. And they did have the advantage of having a, a, a buy in the playoffs for their, their first playoff round. So, um, it's not to just take away anything from what Eden Prairie did. That was a great football team. And had they actually played on the field? I mean, they know how to win at this time of year. Who knows if they would have ended up winning a state, uh, a state championship. But, uh, again, you went Lakeville South. I went with Rosemont, and I think we can make good, solid cases for both. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, that means Mike Grant will hang up on both of us the next time we call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, I, I like Mike. What's that, Paul? I, this is Paul again. Hey, can I just throw a – I don't even know. I wouldn't call it a bone, but to me, St. Michael, Albertville, no one's going to say they should have been in the discussion maybe for number one, but how would you like to be those guys? They Didn't they have a, a, a buy because they were number one seed in 6A and then when they couldn't play their game, they – jump in and play um, Lakeville South. They lost Eden Prairie. I realized that and I thought they played pretty well until they had a running back who got injured. Maybe Jim, you were at that game. But to me, that, yeah, that kind of... Well, first of all, they did not have a bye. They were supposed to play... Uh, oh. Were they Tonka? Were they Minnetonka oh, or right. Edina? Right. So they did not have a bye and the running back, Collins, David Collins, fantastic running back, one of the best we've seen in the state. He was back for the playoffs, and when they uh, when they lost the game during the season, they went ahead and uh, and picked up Champlain Park, which is no slouch to replace them. So yeah, yeah, that's the best team with two losses in the state by far. They didn't shy away from anybody. They played an extremely tough schedule. Um, they dominated some really good teams, um, and they won. They did exactly what they're asked to. And when they played Eden Prairie and Lakeville South, their two losses, they were leading. Uh, in the second half of both games. So you know, the, you've got to give a special attention to St. Michael Albert. Paul, thanks for bringing them up. That's, that's a good good catch. David, we haven't talked about the other classes. Any thoughts about 5A or 4A? I think, I, yeah, I think the top teams in 5A should stop emailing me and politicking for why we should give them the number one vote in the AP poll because they want to be the mythical champions of their class. I think that's like I said in my tweet, unless you're going to find a way to get an In-N-Out franchise by my house, don't don't ask for that kind of favor. <laughs> In-N-Out's not moving. They're, they're, still, they're still moving gradually east. I know that. But I think there's you – know, I think they got In-N-Out's in Texas. Didn't they just open? You'll know, you'll know when we Colorado. get here. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be sweating while we're doing the podcast because I've become 400 pounds. Okay, um, because I'm a dyed-in-the-wool contrarian. Last time I was in California, we, we – last two times – we made a specific trip to go to uh, in and out and neither time did I think they were out of this world. Good for the reputation. They were good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I thought there were, it didn't, it didn't wow me to the point where I'm like, you know, Gaga and can't have another burger anyway. I thought in and out were very good. What was it about in and out that you liked so much? I don't know. I, and I, and I, that's my favorite and probably has a lot to do with not being able to get it so often, but you know what? Uh, five guys, uh, then you go to local Red Cow in our uh, Blue Door. Any one of those burgers will be just fine. I think it's the idea of being able to try to to have uh, in and out more that would be very. Uh, I would appreciate the opportunity very much. Good point. Yeah, that's a good point. You always want what you can't have. Uh, that's right. <laughs> okay, Class Five A. Um, I'll start there. I really like Morehead. I mean, I think uh, St. Thomas Academy has been number one for much of the season and deservedly so, but. Moorhead, I think, has been the most dynamic team out there. And I think that, that that's a team I like as number one. They've got the best quarterback in the state in Trey Feeney and then and a tremendous offense. And they haven't really shied away from anybody in their, in their class either. So my vote would be Moorhead followed by St. Thomas. What about you? I voted St. Thomas number one in the poll. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, they're never going to win the argument of schedule. Their schedule is not very good. Uh, but they did everything they're supposed to do. They, they clobbered people. Um, and, and I, I, it's, a, it's a program that always does a nice job as, as the season goes along. 
And, and I, and I, it's, it's tough though, because then you could turn around and say, well, and you can't discount what Rosemount did last year. And that reputation and what they did against South and Eden Prairie should carry over somehow. And then you get into the trouble of a lifetime achievement award when it's supposed to be about this season. Uh, but all that said, I have voted for St. Thomas. Um, was there a sleeper in 5A out there that we didn't talk about? I mean, Mankato West, Andover was undefeated. Chan Hassan. I hear a lot of buzz for Chan Hassan, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a few, a few notes from people about, about Chan Hassan as well. Uh, they they didn't trail in many games this year, and they finished uh, six and zero as well. So you know that that's that's an even more di- even more difficult choice because there are five undefeated teams. Um, well, and, and then you throw in West the proximity Andover, makes it much more difficult. You, you how the hell do you do Mankato West exactly? Moorhead is way the hell out there. I mean, I don't know how you do that in five A. Let's move on to four A. I think there's one team that stands out. Done. <laughs> Fridley, yeah. I mean, Recorian, defending champs, they were undefeated, and they lost some pretty big names from last year's team. And uh, they did it without having to play many home games this year because when the season was initially put on hold to go to uh, the spring, they decided that was a good time to, to put turf on their field. So they had their field torn up, and the season came back. So they had to play most of their early games on the road. They still went undefeated. So you, know, you got to give uh, a pat on the back to Recorian. But Fridley... That's the best football story of the year, I think. I think they had what did I, I covered them against Minneapolis North, and they had 21 players available because they had a, almost more than half the team out because of COVID restrictions. But not one player was a weakness. Every 20, every one of those 21 players was a good, solid football player, and they had a lot of really good football players. And they shut out Minneapolis North. I think Fridley only allowed what 19 points all season, something like that. So that that and a very, very underrated football program that deserves all the recognition they can get. Congratulations to Justin Reese and, and the Fridley Tigers. Yeah, that, I agree. They were out there. Do, do we want to delve into, um, you want to delve into 3A and 2A and 1A? Give me your thoughts. Not or? really. <laughs> <laughs> what, did I, what did I just say about Moorhead? The further you get out, the less you are qualified to talk about who's what. And, and that's all. I agree all. with you. That's all it is from 3A on down to 9A. Yeah, only thing I know about 2A is uh, Caledonia, which has the, the million-game winning streak. What is their winning streak, 71 or 77 or something like that? Didn't get a chance to keep that going because their season was uh, uh, postponed after, uh, after three games. Um, so, And then North, which we had all thought had a chance to actually beat Caledonia this year. Um, they went 5-1 and one or 6-1 and one or something like that, and they actually got beat by none other than Fridley. So, yeah, that's about what I know in 2A, 3A and 1A. God love you. You're great classes. You play good football, but I just don't know enough to talk about yeah, it. We, we love our hyphens. We just don't know much about them. <laughs> With you. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up oh, for us. Oh, no, it doesn't. We're going to no, go we... a little long today. You're not going to shut me down twice. I wanted to put something in a paper or on a blog that took a little <laughs> bit of a bow on the season. Okay. You, you poo-pooed it. it then. You're going to do it now. You got this is, these are, this is conditioning after practice, Jim. This is to make – this is why the Star Tribune is a championship program. We, we, we're going to give a little bit extra for the, for the listeners here today. So I think that a football season should have three elements – that, that, that you should be able to point to and say, yeah, I, I've got something for, in that category that I really like. Now, if you get into the spirit of what we're going to do here and you decide to add another uh, heading, by all means do that. But my three things you need to have, you, you want to see something 
that you haven't seen in a while or haven't seen before. You want a great individual performance, a signature individual performance, and you want a righteous playoff game. And this season had all three of those elements for me. And I'll start with something you haven't seen in a while. I watched Stillwater beat Eastridge. That hasn't happened since 2012. So that was, that was a cool thing to be able to see uh, because, again, it hasn't happened in a while. And you always like stories that you can, can riff on something that's a little bit unusual. Signature ind individual performance came from an unlikely place, Cambridge Isanti. And I'm not dogging Cambridge Isanti. It's just not a program that I would normally see in our sort of metro-focused coverage in a given year. There was a COVID situation with Matamidi, Tartan needed an opponent. Cambridge was available. Cambridge Isanti comes down to play Tartan. And running back Gavin Zebarth, who's going to play at uh, North Dakota, uh, is five touchdown night. The fifth, four of them rushing. The fifth one is a receiving touchdown. And he scored, he runs it in from about 30 yards out with about, oh, I don't know, about a minute on the clock or so. That ends up being the game-winning points. So that was a very cool individual performance by him. I asked his quarterback about it. He said, yeah, I told him keep scoring. I got you on my fantasy team. And then, and then a righteous playoff game. Again, COVID, we talked about it earlier, sets up St. Michael Albertville, ranked number four in 6A, coming down to play undefeated in number one Lakeville South. Game is really great. It, uh, Lakeville South has to score twice in the fourth quarter, the second one with less than 30 seconds to go to pull out the victory, which St. Michael Albertville almost took back because they got themselves in position for a 40-yard field goal with two seconds left. It didn't miss by much. Uh, so that was the, it, the, the three things that I want out of a season, this season achieved. And uh, for that, I am grateful. So you are putting me on the spot here. I've been thinking about this. Yeah. I, so what, what did you do? Did you see anything that in a game, in a result, who won, who lost, whatever? It's something we haven't seen in a while. Do you have one of those kind of games? Well, you know, you know the, one, the one thing that to kind of follow your lead, I mean, Farmington did beat Lakeville North for the first time ever. There so we go. There we go. And twenty nine to seven, and and Farmington had been the type of team over the years that has had a good offense and has had maybe a, a, a strong starts, but when they go up against the big boys, the Rosemonts, the Lakeville North teams like that, they've had a tendency to get overwhelmed. They didn't do that this time. Lakeville North, well, it wasn't their best team ever this year, as a, as a a team that doesn't back down and they live by their reputation. That that matters a lot in high school football because kids see that. But Farmington went and 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 didn't weren't bothered by that at all. And they didn't just beat Lakeville North. They beat them 29 to seven. So that exercise seemed even for Farmington. So congratulations to the, uh, to the Tigers on that one. Um, great. I performance. love it. In individual it, performance. It, it wasn't statistically amazing, but what it was was a kid putting his ego behind it in the, in the back, uh, in his back pocket, go ahead and do what was best for the team. And that was the quarterback of Maple Grove, Nate Elms. They weren't playing as well as they could have played. And coach Matt Lombardi admitted that. Um, so they took Elms, who had been a, a starting quarterback in his third year. They moved him from um, quarterback to fullback and replaced him with a sophomore. And I, I saw that game against Osseo, and he went out and, you know, I think he ran for somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 yards. He scored a touchdown, um, two touchdowns, I think, Elms did. And when I talked to him after the game, there was no hard feelings or anything. You know, he was, had been the quarterback. He got moved to fullback. He came through uh, in a time when um, – a lot of guys might be pouting if they didn't move out of that position. He didn't do that at all. So I have to give Nate Elms just a ton of credit for having the ability to, to put his personal feelings aside and go out and have just a tremendous uh, game for Maple Grove. That, that impressed me a heck of a lot.
Um, and in terms of playoff games, you know what? It was a shortened season for a shortened postseason, so I know this could be difficult. But did you have a righteous playoff game? Well, I didn't. I don't didn't have a righteous playoff game, but I did have a team that uh, plays with a chip on its shoulder, and they went in the playoffs for the second time, second year in a row that I've seen that. And that's Centennial. Didn't have the greatest regular season. I think they're two and four, and their coach Mike Diggins had talked about the fact that this was a team that was replacing an awful lot of seniors, awful lot of players. They only had, I think, four guys, he said, that had played even a down last year. But uh, they took a defensive end, moved him to quarterback, and when they went out in the playoffs, they beat Lakeville North decisively, and they beat Stillwater, which had you know gotten past Eastridge, and you had seen a, a big Stillwater. And it was a number one seed. Yeah, it was a number one seed. And they did it both times you know, um, with physicality and with – commitment and with a bunch of guys that just grew as the season went on so it wasn't I wouldn't say there were tremendous football games but I gotta hand it to what Diggins and those Centennial kids are able to do he talked about they play physical and they play they don't feel like they get the uh the credit that they deserve in the North Metro up there but uh you know, Centennial is a handful by the uh, end of the season and, and you know kudos to them I love it we did can I, we can land expectations now. David <laughs> we did. We can land the. We can land. You were an In-N-Out Burger. We can land the plane now. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, last time going back, circling full circle. Last time I was in, uh, we were, uh, California. We were flying out of San San Jose, and there's a In-N-Out Burger not too far away from there. So we went and grabbed some, brought it back, uh, put it back in our bags, and saved it. And were able to eat In-N-Out Burgers when we got home, like five or six later, five or six hours later. So that was kind of cool, eating In-N-Out from. Uh, uh, we had picked it up in San Jose that morning and had eaten it in New Brighton, Minnesota, where I live that evening. Kind of cool. Smuggling it across state lines. I love it. <laughs> contraband. In and out is contraband. All right. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate uh, everybody being here with us. We appreciate the uh, the uh, Paul Clouda chipping in uh, with, with his thoughts. Thanks, Paul. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.